most people underestimate the amount of work and effort and intensity that it takes to become super successful. I think people just don't get what they're going to have to sacrifice making really tough decisions, you know, vacations you can't make, family outings you can't make, time you can't spend, relationships you can't have, and just a level of an intensity that you got to bring to the table if you want to be that successful. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast-track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's good, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and we're back. We're back for another installment of the Before the Millions BTM podcast, and I, quite frankly, have missed you guys oh so much. So, this is episode 20, by the way, so the big two zero. Uh, this is episode 20, and on this episode, we are interviewing Mr. Real Estate himself, Mr. Jay Morrison. Before real estate and before being an entrepreneur, he he was in the drug game, and he he sold drugs for a living, and he was in and out of jail, and he talks he talks about, you know, the similarities between the real estate game and the drug game and, you know, some of the hardships that he went through and some of the lessons learned just by, you know, being in that environment. So I feel like I've gained some clarity as far as my vision for this podcast and such in the past few weeks. So you'll see a lot of changes coming up on the podcasting front over the next couple episodes. I'm also temporarily discontinuing my free ebook, Get Paid to Live for Free. I think that I had a vision for it and I had other people help me on the project and I didn't supervise it as well as I could have. So, you know, going back to quality, I want to actually re-release the book, put my hard work and effort in there, add in a whole bunch of chapters, uh, talk about some of my personal stories in there and release it as a physical copy a full-fledged, you know, physical copy book and still have it, still call it the same, you know, still call it get paid to live for free and really walk people through the process of how to do that. And I think that it'll be that much of a better book and it'll be that much more value for you guys. And of course, it'll still be free. So look out for that probably late this year or early next year. So really, guys, one thing that I'm starting to do and I'm looking to do is I'm going to start aggregating content through different mediums primarily my email list. So if you haven't received an email from me in the past few days, regardless of whenever you're listening to this episode, 
then you're not on my email list or you've accidentally been removed. So you don't want to miss any of my emails. Uh, I've changed up my service provider and switched up the contents of the email. So I'll be sharing a lot more about my personal life and a lot about my path before the millions. Most recently, I'll be sharing exactly what prompted me to miss the past three weeks and you'll be taken away and hopefully inspired. Another reason for the absence is I'm excited, guys. I'm super excited to announce that we're launching an all new mini course called House Hack Secrets. This is a teaching and coaching investors how to get into their first investment property by getting paid to live for free. Now, it's been in the works for a while now when we finally have a product that I think that we're ready to, to share with the public. And this is exclusive. So I'll tell you I'll tell you why in a minute. But if you're looking to create a new stream of income, get into your first investment property become a homeowner, acquire consistent passive cash flow, live a location-independent lifestyle, or subsidize your living expense, in other words, getting paid to live for free, then this course is made specially for you. So what I've done is I've broken the course down into step-by-step little bite-sized pieces of information to kind of to kind of get you on your way. So it's five jam-packed modules with support every step of the way, and you'll be closing on your, your first house hack in no time. Now, I'm rolling this out to the first 50 investors that register. Why is there a cap? Well, because this is the first version, and I like to devote as much of my time and attention to these early adopters so that we can work through any of the kinks or gaps in the teaching and therefore make a better product. But I'll continually update the course, which also means that the price will continually go up. And once you're in, you're in. You get all the updates. So no matter how high the price goes, which it will never be crazy, but no matter how high the price goes, you're like a lifetime member. (laughs) So here's the kicker though. The first 50 investors that register will have access to the course for free. It's crazy. For the amount of value being offered, I believe that this is the best way to roll it out. Y'all know I love giving things away for free. I told my mom the plan and she literally got pissed at me, guys. She was just like, why? Why? In fact, the, the original plan was to keep the course free forever because I think that it could help tons of people. But since then, I've changed my mind after speaking to mentors and loved ones. And I'll talk about why charging will actually help will actually help the people taking the course more than giving it away for free on a future episode. But for now, it's free for the first 50 people. So if you want to be in the forefront of this, then I suggest you make sure that you're one of those people. This window will be open for a limited time. Maximum of two weeks, probably. But if I get like 50 people enrolled today, then it's going to close today. (laughs) And the plan is to close enrollment for a while, maybe even until Christmas. So if you're listening to this and enrollment is already closed, no worries. It'll be open again. Simply sign up for the waiting list and you'll be notified when we reopen. Again, while enrollment is closed, I'll be working personally with investors who sign up for the course, but who also sign up for coaching, helping them get their first deal under contract in the next 90 days, all the while getting feedback and improving the course for a second launch. So we'll call this the soft launch. If I had the ability to bypass the headaches I faced when doing my first and second house hacks and had a course like this, man, I would have saved so much money. I offer my coaching clients direct access to me, but more importantly, personal recommendations when it comes to things like finding a lender. This can literally save you thousands, if not hundreds of thousands over the next 30 years. That alone would be worth the price of admission. And guys, there's too many other super value bombs that I'll let you go check out, such as providing you with most, if not all the documents that you'll probably need through your house hack. Things like a master lease agreement, a letter of intent, and other contracts. I know, I'm crazy. 
so I haven't actually decided on the price when we reopen, but I guarantee that it won't be less than $97. It could be $197, it could be $297, even $497. But even at $1,000, the value is still worth 10 times that. If you're a loyal listener, you listen to the BTM episodes soon after they're released, then you'll probably still have time to join the beta group, aka the founding group for free. If you're listening to this in 2018 or sometime in the future, then I'm sure you'll enjoy the course at its current price and all it has to offer because it kicks butt. LOL. <laughs> well, DeRay, this is all nice and dandy, but you still haven't told me how to enroll. Literally, all you have to do is visit beforethemillions.com slash househacksecrets. That's beforethemillions.com slash househacksecrets. Or click on the link in the show notes and I'll see you inside the members area of the course. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the show. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Today, I'd like to welcome Jay Morrison to the show. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thank you for having me, King. I'm excited to have you. It's a pleasure. Jay is also known as a Mr. Real Estate. He's a successful real estate investor, realtor, and TV personality. Jay is actually an entrepreneur at heart. He's a social activist and the CEO and founder of the Jay Morrison brand. So I understand that, Jay, you're, you were a high school dropout. You were a three-time felon, and you made a major transformation in your life over a decade ago. And you now use the experiences that you went through and your personal story of triumph to kind of empower others and impact the lives of thousands. So you know, you're a multimillionaire before the age of 30. You continue to build your brand and your professional resume up and you're uh, up and coming real estate developer, public speaker and TV personality. You've been on BET. You've been on NBC. You've been featured on Hot 97, The Breakfast Club, Power 105, Vibe Magazine and The Huffington Post. Jay, is there anything out there in the real estate realm that you haven't done yet? Oh, uh, there's very little that I haven't done, hence the name Mr. Real Estate. Over the last 12 years, I've done everything from be a entry-level loan officer to manage mortgage companies, just be a round-the-way realtor to a celebrity realtor and listing multi-million dollar homes and into developments. And on top of our, you know, within our brand, we have our school, we're teaching real estate, entrepreneurship and education, but also now the the manager of the Tulsa Real Estate Fund, which is a uh, 21st century real estate investing crowd fund that just launched this year, um, as well as being an author in the industry as well. So yeah, I've I've done a little bit of everything, and really blessed, really really blessed to be in this position. Love it, love it, Jay. Well, let's get to know a little bit more about you and your personal life, Jay. Let's take it back in the time machine and kind of get to know you a little bit better. So who is Jay and how did your journey first begin way before real estate, way before, you know, any of this? What, what Who was Jay like in high school and how did how did you kind of transition into, into who you are today? That really is the start of it. I come from a rough and adverse upbringing, and I think it gave me a lot of intangible skills that I approach life with and approach business with. I believe in the possibility of possibilities. I believe in being resilient and it's just 
from, you know, being born to a single mom, growing up in a poor neighborhood of New Jersey, you know, being in food stamp lines and WIC lines and, and, and welfare lines and get free lunch in schools and having the hand-me-down clothes growing up and just, you know, being really grouped in the have-nots and, and it being very obvious, you know, just to me and to my, my siblings. And so I always wanted to be in the have club, right? Like I didn't like being in the have-not club. And, you know, unfortunately, the way that most of my family, you know, during the, the 70s and 80s, you know, I was born an 80s baby, but, you know, a lot of my family, my grandfather, my mother, my uncles, my stepfather, my biological father, like aunts, many of them sold drugs and or were addicted to drugs. And so, you know, I grew up with those things in my atmosphere. And so in high school, as I was just getting, you know, my, my hoop dreams weren't panning out in basketball and I was just getting frustrated from a lot of you know, the adversity I was facing at home and, and, and different stresses and, and even abuse at home as a teenager and, and adolescent, I was just so frustrated with life that I ended up dropping out of high school my junior year. And what I thought was going to be my savior was my first entry to entrepreneurship, you know, so to speak. And that was, you know, dope dealing and, and drug dealing and, and, and working for older cousins and, and, and older guys in my neighborhood, you know, working on the corner. That's where I first seen the signs of, of hope, though, and, and life and, and, and money where I could provide for myself just some of the basic comfortabilities that other kids, you know, went to school with. Just having lunch money, just having, you know, I mean, a, a decent jacket, just having, you know, a fresh pair of sneakers. And so those things, you know, as I made a little bit of money for myself and, and felt what it, you know, what it felt like and what it looked like to be you know, not even financially stable, but just have a little of the extras, you know, that became addicting. And, and I, I knew that I didn't want to go back to the have-not side. And so I was smart enough to go back to high school after I dropped out. And I went to a, a program called the TOPS program for the, the bad kids. And I, I did finish high school and graduate with some, you know, my senior year after going through this alternative program, but sold drugs my whole time through my senior year. Like I had a whole operation going where my cousin, my older cousins would work the day shift and I come home from school and work the night shift in between basketball practice. And I mean, I'd literally be up two, three in the morning, you know, on the corner, you know, while I had school and practice and other things the next day. And, you know, that put me in a situation where I did start to, you know, save and stack some substantial money for myself. Also, my risk increased and found myself four months after graduating high school, found myself locked up in New York on Rikers Island facing three years to life in prison for a quarter kilo of cocaine and a loaded 38 handgun, possession of both. And, you know, that kind of started my adulthood. My adulthood started at literally four days after I turned 18 years old, I was in prison. And, you know, I spent my first, like all of my 18, except for those four days in prison. And, you know, my maturity had to kick in and my survival school had, had to kick in. And that's, again, just part of why I'm able to take entrepreneurship these days and all these days with a, a grain of salt and within stride. It's just because I've been through so much as a teen and adolescent that a lot of the adversity we see as an entrepreneurship, this is like light work to me. Love it, Jay. Love it, love it, love it. So let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Let's dive into your experience at prison and and maybe even dive into into some of your first experience after prison. And like you, you know, there it's often that we we kind of go back to what we're used to and what we know, and especially when it involves money. So so you know, to kind of talk about maybe how long you were in prison and, and what your mindset was in, in prison, and then that that kind of you know translates to what your mindset was once you got out. And did you kind of fall back into the same patterns, or did you did you kind of discover or turn over a new leaf? How did that work? 
Yeah, great, great questions and, and line of thinking. And so, you know, initially when I was locked up, I, I never, I remember just weeks before I got locked up, I was thinking like, I heard a rap song or maybe watched a video or something. And someone's talking about being locked up, incarcerated. And I'm like, y'all can never go to jail. Like, I can never be in a cell. Like, I would go crazy, right? You just think that you couldn't adapt and that you just didn't have the capacity. So my first couple months in jail was just like, I need to get the hell out of here. Like, by any means, like, how do I get out? And, you know, they wouldn't give me a bail or they gave me a bail, but I, it, it came with an assurity exam. We had to prove where the money came from. So my bail was 50000 and I was trying to and could have bailed out on a $50,000 bail, but they wanted to see proof of the of the funds and we had no way of doing that. So I had to literally sit and go to court. And I also was very nervous because, um, as I mentioned, I had a, my first offer was three years to life in prison, which meant that I can continuously have life parole. If I served my three years, I could get smacked by the parole board as many times as they want up to life. And so I'll literally be a, a product of the system, you know, for a long time at my first felony as an adult, first charge. But anyway, I was fortunate enough to plead guilty to a lesser charge and, and just serve one year in prison. I got a one to three sentence, one to three years, served a full year in prison. And you know, as humans, we have a strange way of adapting. And once you realize that, you you know, from my experience being in jail, listen to a lot of the older guys who were kind of mentoring me through the process. And, you know, at some point you just have to accept that, hey, you know what, I'm here and I might as well make the best of it and, and the best of my conditions here. And so you start making friends and you start learning the tricks of the trade in prison and how to maneuver through jail, especially in New York, where it's very aggressive, you know, how you can maneuver without being a punk or being punked, but also be make sure that you get home on time back to your family. And so it definitely matured me and, and I learned a lot through that experience. And unfortunately, jail matured me, but it didn't reform me as it was more like criminal school and where you just had an opportunity to, to, to share and build and mastermind with other like-minded young criminals and, and even some of the OG criminals. And so I came home with the vengeance to actually be a better, more sophisticated, more successful drug dealer. And, you know, found myself doing exactly that. Like what I put my mind to, I actually did. And, you know, just a year or so after coming out of prison, I had revamped my drug trafficking ring from New York to New Jersey to Baltimore, Maryland, all the way to Lincoln, Nebraska, and was continuously progressing and really digging myself a deeper hole in the whole drug industry or criminal industry through that particular enterprise because just a year and a half out of prison, I would wind up catching a second felony in New Jersey for a secret indictment. And then I would bail out from that while on parole in New York and trying to save money and prepare for that particular drug charge. I end up, you know, going back to the streets and back to my, my route, trying to refine it and caught a third felony while on, on parole in New York and on Belgium, New Jersey, I caught a third felony in Maryland a small town called Cumberland for drug trafficking, which I bailed out from and found myself at, you know, 20 years old on bail in two states, on parole in another state, and facing now 15 years in prison for drug trafficking in Maryland, which I fought vigorously with an attorney. Again, all these things just speak to though my, my journey. You know, I went through levels of depression, being scared, being all types of stuff, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. My daughter was born. While I was 18 years old in prison in New Jersey, and now she was like two years old, and here I am facing 15 years again, and so a lot of emotions through all those periods. And I think back to those times again, 
you know, a lot, part of me says, man, you were stupid. And then, you know, part of me appreciates my resilience and persistence because all those things made me tougher. It, it made me be able to weather many, many storms that, you know, I see today as a, you know, as an entrepreneur and as someone that's managing over 10 million in assets of business and real estate assets, you know, there's, there's issues, there's hurdles, there's bumps, there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. But when I think back to it, none of them equate to what life felt like at 20 years old, looking at 15 years while I'm still going to parole every week. And my parole officer doesn't know that I have these new charges and could always go back to jail in New York at any given time and be away from my daughter and only being free for like a year and just, just having served a year and just that level of stress and then not knowing what my future and my outcome looked like and thinking about me coming home when I'm 35 years old and I'm only 20 coming home from prison at 35. You know, those things were, a level of stress like one couldn't believe. You know, we weathered that storm and the police illegally searched my vehicle and, and my lawyer caught wind and shed light on that. And they were forced to drop my charges down to a misdemeanor charge where I would only have to serve a year and a half in prison as opposed to 15 years. And so I did, you know, go to trial and I did plead guilty to a charge in Maryland. And luckily, with God's covering, you know, New York never found out about it. So I never had to face any more time in New York and New Jersey consolidated their charge with Maryland. And so I ended up doing another year and a half in prison, long story short, served a total of two and a half years in prison by the time I was about 22 years old and came home on a intense supervision parole program. And, you know, was on this program with a six o'clock curfew and random drug tests and breathalyzer tests and had to keep a journal and attend a men's group and had to do that for 18 months once I left the 18 month sentence where that introduced me to real estate because I had to have a job. And eventually one of my jobs after working at a telemarketing company and a shoe shoe company as a shoe salesman, I ended up getting a job at a mortgage company as a loan officer at 22 years old. And that introduced me to the principles of financing and real estate and creative financing. Although I'm sure y'all asked this, but although I end up going back to the streets, even after that parole program, I still spent a few more years back into old habits before I fully found my niche in real estate. That's amazing, Jay. And it sounds like you you finally, after that first time, you were finally able to figure out that whole that whole bail thing and and, and kind of being able to to have the funds in the right place to kind of get bail. So I like that. But secondly, Jay, you 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 went back to the same streets that that you were you came from and you went back to what you knew. And, you know, even though you had so much on the line, you had your daughter, you knew that you still needed to provide. And you know that that was that was a way for you to provide, you know, that, that was a proven system in which you were able to provide for yourself and your family. Now, what was your mindset at the time? And I, I kind of want to walk through your mindset and your mindset shift, because I think it's important to, to kind of to kind of walk through that process if others are walking through that process. But what was your mindset at the time? What what did you think was the long term play, you know, as a drug dealer? What was there an escape? route? Was there a getaway plan? Was there a certain time cap that you put on it? What was the plan? And what did you realize about the plan that, that, that was faulty that made you change your ways? It's a really great question. I want to commend you on it from, from a, uh, being an interviewer. I mean, you're hitting it right you know, on the nose. And the funny thing is when I first started selling drugs, my goal was just $100 a day. I was 15 years old. And you know, again, I just wanted the extras, man. I just wanted to be able to uh, afford some, you know, chicken wings and fried rice. Like, I just wanted to be able to get the, the cheese sticks at Pizza Hut when I wanted. You know what I mean? I, I didn't really want much. I just, you know, I just didn't want to, you know, I hated being hungry and not, not being able to, you know, go feed myself. I hated, you know, seeing a, a new pair of jeans or 
new designer came out and you know I, I was not even it wasn't even a question of could I get a shirt or a pair of jeans or sneakers like that wasn't even something you came home with it was like you already knew the answer <laughs> you know my, my stepfather at the time was was making about 35,000 a year working for the county recycling and I've just always been a math guy numbers guy and I'm like okay if I can make a hundred dollars a day you know that's three thousand dollars a month that's thirty six thousand a year that's the much my dad makes so if my dad could take care of you know, although we weren't living lavishly, but we still, you know, got by a family of six, you know, on thirty-five thousand a year. I figured if I could make a hundred dollars a day and make the same thirty-six thousand, thirty-five thousand a year, that you know, I would one take a burden off my family, but I could be able to, you know, provide for myself. And after seeing that I could make a hundred dollars a day just in one sale, it was like, geez, I could make a hundred dollars in five minutes. Like, you know, I might as well go back and re-up. And then, you know, that was at 15, 16. And then as I started seeing the possibilities, I'm making, you know, $1,000, $2,000 a day. And it started seeing how I can have, I can duplicate myself and have other people working for me. I remember when my, my stepfather found out that I was selling drugs, you know, he also was in the streets. He was like a real gangster at heart. And he told me, he said, you know, I see you selling drugs now. I said, I, you know, I, I know what you're doing. I, I heard. And he said, well, if you're going to sell drugs, and you better have a gun. And if you have a gun, you better have at least $10,000 of bail money. That's going to be your bail. So that was my first goal was to save 10000 And then um, after I got to 10000 I remember even my first $1,000. I got the backflip when I got my first 1000 I couldn't believe it. Like $1,000, like, rich forever. But once I take my first 10000 then it was like, oh, 10 wasn't that bad. Let me say 20 Oh, shit, 20 ain't that bad. Let me say 30 And it just kept going up. And eventually, after my charge in New York and, and I came home, I did quit at one time. Right in between my secret indictment and that Maryland charge I spoke of, I had actually saved up enough money. I bought a brand new truck, cash off the lot. It kind of reminded me of the Get Rich or Die Trying movie before it even came out. Like I literally went to to Queens, New York. I took a bus from Central Jersey to Jersey City with like 30,000 in a book bag. My cousin picked me up in Jersey City and drove me to Queens and I bought a Navigator cash off the lot with like five money orders, two cashiers, checks and like 10,000 cash or like 9,900 cash. And I went and bought this truck and I had some, you know, a nice amount of money saved and, and I quit. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to a community college. I'm going to get a temp agency job, get some slacks, some khakis, you know, get some button ups. And I'm just going to, you know, see what else the world has to offer. Right. I felt like I gave myself enough of a head start. Like for me, it was all about a head start. And coincidentally, like two weeks, maybe not even two weeks into me quitting, this secret indictment popped up from alleged sale that I made to an undercover cop like nine months prior. And so they popped this charge up, arrested me, I bailed out. I went and seen a lawyer and a lawyer said, you're looking at at least three years. And so I said, well, if I'm going to be looking at three years and I got to go away, I'm going to need to save some more money. I don't, you know, my thing is I'm not going to come home broke, right? I'm not going to have my family take care of me while I'm in jail. And that's when I went back to hustling in Maryland and ended up catching the other charge because I went back to the streets to stack up more money so that I went away comfortable. And lo and behold, I wasn't really even looking at three years. I found out later on that, that the lawyer exaggerated, I guess probably to get a higher legal fee. And I was only looking at four months in county jail. And so if I had known that, I probably never went back to the streets, but I did. And that's where I caught another charge, trying to save up for that charge. And then while I was out on bail for the third charge, you know, it was the same thing. I got to pay my lawyer. My lawyer wanted 25 grand. And again, I can't come home broke. So I spent my whole time out on bail and fighting my charge. You know, I went through about a month of depression where I did nothing. I just sat in the house, let my hair grow out. I just like was like, I just gave up. And then 
um, had to snap out of it. You know, one of my friends at the time was like, you know, you can lay here all you want and be depressed and be sad, but that ain't going to change shit, <laughs> you know? So you better get up and get on your good foot, go hit the block. And so snapped out of it and went back and, you know, saved up a bunch of money. So when I did go away and I got sentenced, you know, I was able to take care of myself and my family while I was gone and able to come home to, you know, some head start money. And, you know, that's always been my mindset, though, it's, just, it's been survival. My mindset has always been strategies and operations. It's always been plugging the holes. Like, it's, it's like all one big chessboard for me. And so that, that, that's what was always my mindset. And, you know, again, so my out or goals for out was just to get a head start, right? And I, I, I don't know what that number was. I mean, like, you know, when I first, at 17, I wanted to make a million, you know, I wanted to make a million selling drugs. Like, you know what I mean? Then it was like, okay, well, I don't need to make a million, you know, but and make a half a million, right, or something, right? So it was, just, it was just some number of just a head start with no actual tangible action plan, but just figuring that I could do something. I could throw parties. I could do comedy shows, like which all things I tried while I hustled, right? So as a drug dealer, you're constantly trying other little possible outs, which is what made real estate appealing to me. Like I tried to buy a multifamily at one time and it got really close, but then something happened with the property. But you're always trying to figure out what can I do? Because you know, even my family would beg me to stop selling drugs you know, my, my rebuttal to them was, well, you show me what I can do to make in similar money, then I'll stop. Mm-hmm. And so you're always trying to figure out what's that next hustle. And, and unfortunately, we never put enough energy or research into another business or hustle to fully exit. And that's part of what keeps people in the trap is that they never really put enough energy into anything else. But they're expecting these magical results from other things. But you never give it the same energy that you gave the block. And so until I did that at 25 years old, where I, I really put two feet into entrepreneurship and real estate investing into my mortgage career and my career as a realtor. And so I put all my energy and all my eggs into that basket. I did not see any kind of substantial results. And, and I decided to do that approaching 25 years old just because I could not picture a win for myself after 10 years in a drug game, three felonies, two and a half years in prison. You know, all the stress I caused my family, all the, the, the waste of my, my talents, you know, I just knew that there was more for me and more I could do. And, you know, I've seen some people that I worked with in the streets, you know, who are less educated than me, less articulate than me. They had less talents than me. And, you know, although from an economic standpoint, I felt forced to hustle and do what I did, I had more potential than most people that I was working with or would come across in the streets. And I found that I was underutilizing my potential. And, and when I gave it a, a real shot, that's when I started to see. And it wasn't overnight, but through grinding and commitment and, and persistence and, and resilience, using those same things I've had gathered over the last 10 years, I used them over my first 10 months in real estate when like I wasn't making any money and just learning the business and learning professional etiquette and learning how to you know really build the business. Although I didn't make a lot of money my first 10 months, I learned so much. And then eventually the, the floodgates started to open and I started to make more money and build more confidence and, and build a book of business. And I've been fortunate enough to, you know, I've had some ups and downs where I had to rebuild and regroup, but I never had to go back to, to where I was and have been fortunate enough to be able to build a pretty nice start to an empire for myself. Love that. Love that, Jay. That's that's really, really good stuff. And I hope that, you know, the, the listeners are, are taking heed to, to kind of your path and, you know, whether or not they, they were in the drug game or in, in corporate America, whatever they're in, but they're, they're, they're struggles everywhere. And, you know, your, your story. Everywhere. Yeah, your story is so relatable that, I, that I'm sure that people are imagining, you know, what they're doing and what they could be doing better and, you know, investing in their future. So before we kind of 
end this part of your life and and and, and stop talking about the drug game and get into real estate. Let, let's maybe draw some parallels, Jay, from a business standpoint. Do you do you see any parallels in what you do in real estate and, and kind of how you were able to build up, you know, your drug notoriety and, and what you did in the drug game? Are there any parallels there? Yeah, so many parallels. And that's why we teach our corner class, you know, where I go into the inner cities and teach on the corners about real estate. And we use a lot of these parallels and comparisons just because, you know, drug dealing is business. I mean, we see that that the marijuana industry is now booming, the legal marijuana industry. Well, it's no different. It's just that, you know, because, you know, the government haven't, you know, legalized certain drugs or they pick which drugs they want to legalize. You know, you've been formalizing, you've been operating as a legitimate business, but nevertheless, it still was business. And there's so many core principles of just, you know, again, how I say, like in business, you need business credit and the streets, you need street credibility. You can't go make money in the streets without being credible. And that's all based on your knowledge base of your product in the streets and, and the code of the streets and also how you market and brand yourself in the streets. And so the streets, there's one way of to marketing and branding yourself to make people want to be attracted to you to do business with you. And it's the same thing when you go into entrepreneurship, you know, how you look, how your business looks, how your business cards look, how you smell, how you smile, how you eat, what your posture is. All those things matter into how people take you as a businessman or woman take you serious or the lack of or how you package your product. It's the same thing. No matter if your product is, you know, a legal work or if it's a real estate inventory or t-shirts or weave or whatever it is you're selling or services you're offering out there, how you package those products and services are going to, it's going to be a great correlation to how your consumers or constituents receive those products and services and how they engage with you as a businessman. And same thing with, with team building, you know, we teach in real estate, how you need your, you know, your real estate attorney and your title agent and your, your realtor, your, your loan officer or mortgage professional and your appraiser and everyone else you need on your, on your team to run a successful real estate business as a real estate entrepreneur, the same thing in the streets. You're going to need team members. You're going to need your lawyer and your bail bonds, and you're going to need some some, you know, some, some, some goons on the street and you're going to need some, some people that's going to help bag and stash and everything else. So there's just so many parallels at the end of the day, you're running a business and an operation and the, and the goal is revenue. And the goal is to minimize your risk in obtaining that revenue. And, and we know in real estate entrepreneurship, there's just many, many risks. If you're doing it the right way, one of those risks isn't going to prison and another one isn't getting your head blown off. And that's what I love so much about entrepreneurship is that, you know, there are risks involved with investing money and, and investing time and energy and creating products. I mean, there's certainly risk involved, but at the end of the day, those risks don't have consistent tragic endings. And, and that's why I love about being an entrepreneur and a businessman is that again, based on what I've faced for half my life, these type of risks, you know, at the end of the day, you never want to lose, but these type of risks is, is really light work compared to, you know, things I've faced in, in, in my past. And, and even as a, and, and being younger in my life at, at that, right? So now being more mature of an adult and man, I can handle these things way more graciously than what my teenage and, and, and younger years self had to, had to handle. Definitely. I love that, Jay. So let's let's transition a little bit. Let's let's get into your real estate story. Let's let's figure out, you know, where, where the inception came from and and kind of what your first deal looked like. And, you know, maybe we'll be able to right after this, we'll be, we'll be able to speak to some of the listeners that want to get into real estate and don't know how to get in. And maybe, you know, being an agent is not the best way. And perhaps you can sh- share that. But let's talk about your first your first real estate transaction, whether it was an investment property or whether it was just being an agent on a deal. What was your first transaction? and How did you get into that? 
Yeah, well, my first transaction was me helping my mom out of a foreclosure where she was a, a distressed seller, a motivated seller, and she was facing foreclosure, foreclosure and had a tax lien on her property, and I helped to pay her tax lien off and foreclosure off. How'd you get in a position to do that? Well, that was just, oh, actually, what, what, I, what I did for that is I, I sold my truck, I sold my vehicle. So a lot of times, again, people don't want to make necessary sacrifices to execute a plan or get involved in investment. So for me, I didn't have the, the, the liquid capital at the time. So I sold, you know, one of my assets. I mean, you can call a vehicle a liability, but at, at the time it was owned cash. So it had some equity there. So I sold the vehicle and invested that into alleviating the foreclosure. And my mom's property appreciated in value just $100,000 just after three years of owning it. And so when she sold the property, she gave me a third of the proceeds. And I was able to then acquire another property using her portion of the proceeds for her under my name because I had spent the time to build my credit through secure credit cards, secure loans, and many of the strategies that we teach in the Jay Morrison Academy. And so I had good credit at the time and was able to purchase her first, you know, my first property, my mom's second property, but I purchased it under my name with her funds from the sale of her house, a simple FHA purchase she made that just appreciated in value because of a hot market. She did no renovations to it. I was able to buy our first property. And then I was able to segue into another property, my first two family, where I owned a, a two family home, bought it owner occupied and lived in one unit, rented the other out. And it came with four acres of land as well. And that was like my segue into, you know, becoming an investor. And when I seen the commission the realtor made off that purchase, that's when I decided that outside of just doing mortgages and investing, I needed to be get some action on a on real estate agent side as well. Definitely makes sense. And it sounds like the light bulb just kind of went off in your head after that first transaction with, with your mom. And, you know, you were like, this is definitely something that I see myself doing and I'm going to continue doing. And you can tell that that's where your passion lies because you not only, you know, you not only came in as a real estate investor, but it seems as though you can, you, you decided to be an agent and you decided to, to house hack, you decided to do a ton of different things in the realm of real estate because you, you, you notice the benefits and the value of real estate. So what do you think are some of those, some of those hidden benefits of real estate that, you know, maybe the, the average entrepreneur or the average person may not be privy to? What are the benefits you said? Yep. What are the advantages of, of investing in real estate or even being a real estate professional? Well, investing in real estate means you're putting yourself in position to be the owner. And that's where it really all starts from. Like that's the epitome of it is to be in the driver's seat. And it's cool to be able to get a check, you know, and produce revenue for yourself as a real estate agent, as a loan officer, as an appraiser, as a title agent, right? There's all these cool careers under the real estate industry umbrella, but all those careers are driven off of the investor and the owner and, and the developer. And so for me, that should be everyone's target goal. I see many agents who are in the industry two years to 20 years, but don't own any property. Some don't even own their primary residence or if that, just that. And it's, you know, how can you spend, you know, you know, a decade in the industry seeing people buy and sell and own and build portfolios for themselves and you know all the advantages of owning real estate, the tax advantages and appreciation, the equity, the cash flow, the power to control, the mineral rights, the air rights, but you yourself don't participate or be intentional about participating in getting a piece of the action. And again, if you take it back to my days in the streets, it's the same thing. It's like, 
if I start out a worker in the streets just making 40, 40 cents on a pack, you know, it's not my goal to stay there, just making a commission off a drug transaction. Like, I want to go be the connect. I want to be the guy. And it's the same thing when I got into the real estate industry. It's like, I don't want to be the worker. I don't want to be the runner. I don't want to be, you know, I have to have my eyes set on being the boss and, and as much control as possible, you know, as possible of any transaction, but also making the most money as possible. And so I'm always looking about looking up at, at scaling and it's what got me into other businesses outside of real estate. It's like, I'm not just a real estate guy. Like real estate was a conduit. It was a vehicle for me to create revenue and always will be because it's a great business model and the world runs off real estate, but I never would have stopped there. I never would, would pigeonhole myself to just being Mr. Real Estate or, or, an, or an investor developer, or even an agent or any of that. I'm always looking at, you know, what's next, what's the next level and, you know, where is the most money made, where's the most control had and, how can I squeeze my talents at the end of the day? I love that. And I think that, you know, I'm similar in, in that fashion in the sense that although I'm a real estate investor, that's not where the journey ends. That's just where the journey begins. And you can build so much, you can build so much around your real estate investing. You you can do some of the things that you're doing and you can start building a brand and, and, and kind of helping others kind of, you know, facilitate their, their journey. So let's, let's talk about, you know, we talked about your goals in, in, the, in the drug game. Let's talk about your goals as an early entrepreneur, as an early real estate investor. Now your, your plan was not to have an academy. Your, your plan was not to be on BET where your plan was not to write a book. Th- those were not your real estate plans back then. So what, what were your goals back then and how did they start to transpire into, into what you are today yeah honestly my goals back then were just money goals it was like yo i want to <laughs> i just want to be a millionaire you know what i mean at the end of the day like i just want to be rich i want to be wealthy i want to be comfortable so yeah that that was and actually when i first got into mortgages my first goal might have been like five or six thousand a month i was like you know what, if i close two loans a month make five thousand a month or maybe i might even be like maybe nine thousand a month or something like that but i was like you know what honestly when i, I left the streets I was just so beat up mentally. I was like, you know what? You know, I want to work for myself. I want to make money. But right now, I just want stability, right? I just want to not have to worry about going to prison and, and, and all the others, you know, spoils of the game. And I was like, you know what? If I can make five to 9000 a month, that's just like two or three loans a month as a loan officer, you know, get some rental income from some of my tenants as, a, as an investor and can make over 100000 a year. I was cool. Like, this, this is how I started in the streets, 100 a day. I was cool. Yeah. But when I saw that I could make you know, my one month and uh, one of my bigger months in, in the beginning of my career, after like nine, 10 months of grinding, I ended up making 30,000 in one month and, you know, maybe like 13,000 the next month. And I started seeing like there was like real possibilities for real money and then started learning more about investing and seeing the big checks that people were cashing out on these properties and their portfolio. You know, my goals got bigger and bigger. And it was like, yeah, like, you know, after I made my first six figures, and not just made, but but cleared and, and saved, right? And I can look at my account and see six figures. I got 112000 in my account legally. And I can freaking, like, that blew my mind. The fact that I have, you know, I've had that kind of money before, but never had it legally where I can show it and I can talk about it. And I can, you know, so I knew sky was a limit at that time. And, and then for me, it was just, it wasn't about building a brand. It wasn't about lecturing. It wasn't about anything. It was just about, like, I just need, I just need seven figures. And then when I seen how realistic and and I won't say how easy that was, but when I seen that it happened, that it happened in real life and it happened in this industry, people were telling me like, oh, you need to speak, you need to teach, you do lectures. And I honestly thought that, you know, teaching and being in front of the room and being one of the guru guys, I thought that was corny. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. That's crazy. You know, like, I'm just going to just get my money. But 
you know, that was early in my career. And, you know, as later on, when I found out that it wasn't all about me, because then I thought it was all about me, honestly. I thought the whole world revolved around me. When I found out that actually the world revolves around more than me, that actually it's about everyone else but me, that's when I just started doing more giving back and interested in high schools and teaching and lecturing and, you know, just being intentional about, you know, using my story and my testimony to help inspire others and using my gifts of breaking down complicated subject matters in very simplistic and relatable and comprehensible ways. Um, I started using my gift to teach. You know, that started about five or six years ago. And I really enjoyed that journey as well. I love that. I love that, Jay. So so let's talk about your teaching a little bit and maybe some of the lives that you affected. Do you, do you Are there any success stories that you can kind of pull out of your goodie bag from those early years of somebody you, you kind of you kind of, you know, shared your story with and maybe you mentored and and now they're well on their way to, you know, millions or whatever it is that their goal is. But are there any kind of early success stories that, that kind of that kind of gave you a sense of joy and a sense of a sense of of purpose, per se, to, to kind of keep going down that path? Yeah, there were a lot, man. Like, you know, just from my online videos, even before I started my academy, which has had, had over 7000 students in the last four years and so many success stories. Even before that, just from my YouTube videos, which were like almost a thousand YouTube videos now, several million views, I just was seeing people come up to me in the streets and even in the nightclubs and just be like, yo, salute king, like, yo, like, like yo, I watch you, I, you the man, like, yo, I stopped gangbanging because of you, you know what I mean? Like, people like were literally changing their whole mindset and lifestyle because of some of the, some of the viral content we put out. And then when we started our school, some of our students like Brandon J. Wigley, Country boy out of Orlando, Florida, Country King. You know, he started out as one of my protégés in my online school and worked his way up to an intern. And then, you know, now four years later, he's the vice president of my company and, and doing really well for himself. You know, nice real estate portfolio and, you know, two other businesses outside of what he does with, you know, with our academy and school. And watching women like Rolanda McClinton out of Detroit start in our school in 2014 as a single mom, knew nothing about real estate, like not the slightest thing about real estate, went to our online school as a single mom of two and a salon owner as her full-time job and now has acquired, bought, sold, flipped, rented out everything over nearly well, nearly two dozen properties at this point, starting from scratch. I know nothing about real estate, right? And so just watching her grow and watch her buy her first properties from the auction and, you know, just seeing her and even some of my celebrity clients, like even just working with Angela Yee from The Breakfast Club. When, you know, she thought she needed like 30% down to buy a house. She thought she needed like $300,000 saved to go buy her first house to find out she only needed three and a half percent. Like just simple things like that, that changed someone's whole mindset in regards to the possibilities. And that's what I found out is like through education, we see what's really possible and we see what the possibilities are. We see the possibilities of leveraging our credit to get hundreds of thousands in, in unsecured financing through our you know, credit to cash program or, you know, owner financing, you know, buying apartment buildings with no credit check through owner financing and like all types of cool things you can do once you've got the strategy and the knowledge base. And, you know, so I've just seen dozens of, you know, our students and clients, you know, become successful just even as entrepreneurs. Like people are just so excited. They, they own the business for the first time. Like they got their LLC and their, and their business cards. And, you know what I mean? Like just those little things. I mean, there's students that have made hundreds of thousands of dollars rolling their way to millions and the numbers always sound cool. But I think about the everyday person who's never even thought they could own their own business. And just proud as hell of the first business owner in their family. Like, that's big. That's major. That changes whole mindsets. That changes the whole, again, possibility of what someone thought was possible. And so, you know, those are, you know, that, that's where we try to leave our legacy in our mark. It's just 
showing people that, listen, if I could do it as a former high school dropout, as a three-time seller, as a welfare kid, you know, I can do it and do it to a major level. Like you said, we all have a corner to come off of, whether that corner is a college dropout or college graduate, or it's a, you know, you can't find a job or a divorcee or a single mom or whatever it might be. You know, we all have a journey. We all have adversity. And if you can look at the extent of my adversity, it should make everyone feel comfortable that whatever they went through in their life, they have some opportunity to bounce back or to move forward. Definitely. Jay, you, you, you hit it right on the money. So let's transition to present day, Jay. Let's talk about what you're doing these days, what you have your hands in, kind of how your how your day goes. So let's maybe talk about, you know, if you have typical days from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, how is your day structured and how is it structured for success? Do you have any daily habits that you implement throughout your day and, and what businesses are you touching on a daily basis? Kind of get into, into your story in present day. Man, I mean, under our brand umbrella, you know, we have the Tulsa Real Estate Fund, which is our real estate crowd fund that's launching the J. Morris Academy. We have J. Morris Real Estate Partners, a development company. We have the J. Morris Academy Foundation, and we have a social initiative called United Africans in America. So I have teams that or either directors or teams that run different divisions within my companies or overhead my companies. And so I just do a lot of you know, delegating team meetings, synergizing, making sure everyone's what they're supposed to be doing. On the current day, we're on tour. I'm now in the 18th city of a 25-city tour that we've been on since March. We've been in basically a different city every week since March. And so, you know, a hectic travel schedule. You know, my, my routine is it's really just like always keeping my mind on the work, always looking at where the gaps are, always looking at what's wrong with my business. Like, that's, that's what I do. I don't celebrate on what's right. You know, I try to you know, give myself a quick pat on the back if something does go well. So I'm not just, you know, Debbie Downer, but I'm always looking at, you know, what's wrong here? What's wrong with our business? What's wrong with our marketing? What's wrong with our operations? What's, what's wrong with our management? How can we grow? Always checking in with my coaching clients. I have like three dozen one-on-one coaching clients, many of whom are, you know, NFL or NBA or professional sports athletes or entertainers. And so I'm making sure I'm checking on their progress and portfolios and investments and and, you know, just our everyday one-on-one clients, making sure that they're growing and, you know, texting them, you know, my one-on-ones, get my personal number. So I make sure I, you know, just keep everyone motivated and just making sure my other coaches and my staff are motivating the clients under their, under their watch and make sure our online school is growing and working on accreditation. And it's just, it's constant work. It's constant just checking and double checking and double backing. And, you know, we do a lot of blogging and Instagramming and YouTube videos and making sure we keep a fresh content out there and, you know, just growing the business, growing the brand, working on, you know, our other books. You know, I'm a three-time author now, and two books last year were bestsellers. And so just always, you know, constantly remaining relevant. And you know how I say, outworking the work. You know what I mean? It's, 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 a, it's a crap load of work on, on our plate. It's our challenge to outwork the work that we have. And we're, we're blessed and thankful to even be this busy. And so, you know, it's just constantly, for me, it's constantly like an inventory check. It's constantly like, you know what's going on. And so my mind just plays like round robin between all the businesses and, and it makes sure that we're, you know, that we're well manned and staffed and, and on top of everything. So I love that. I love that. So, so Jay, rounding out this, this, this segment of the show, how would you say that you've been able to balance, you know, work and life? And I know that, you know, you have a family that you're, you're looking after and that you, you know, love to spend time with. How do you, how do you balance that between everything that you have going on? Yeah. Well, it's about being intentional. You know, as a father to two and just, you know, I was still the oldest son to a mother and, and, and over my siblings and, and, you know, having a lady in my life now, it's just all about 
just being intentional, making sure everyone has their time. And that's why I just said it's like a round robin, just making sure everyone knows that I'm busy and, uh, you know, I'm a businessman and I'm growing, you know, I'm growing these assets and, 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 and this legacy for my family. You know, we do a lot of social work and community work as well. We're, you know, constantly, you know, donating our dollars, our time, our energy about, you know, serving those least amongst us. You know, and, and, and I, I think part of my balance is clear communication. You know, like I make sure I communicate with my loved ones and, and those who are engaged with me. So just everyone's, you know, just in the understanding and they know, of, you know, what I got going on and, and what the priorities are. And, you know, my daughters just make sure I'm intentional about, you know, their daddy's interested in their lives as well and, and their success. So that's been my biggest thing is just, you know, making sure that you just don't get caught up just in the work, which you're, you're intentional about, you know, those you love and care about as well. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Favorite Before the Millions book? I would say University of Success by Augmandino. 10-second rundown. What is that book about? It's basically a, a daily read, chapter after chapter, that is like it's a, it's a self-development book, man. But it's like the master collage of all self-development books. So it pulls from so many different books, all mastered into one to be like a curriculum just for a successful mind state or mind frame. Super awesome. Love it. Love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? The drug game? Time. Yeah, I would say time. Like, I just know that, like, you know, when it comes to being successful in any endeavor, like, you got to be willing to put the time in, put the work in. Most people want it without putting, like, real effort, real time in. And I knew, I knew that time and sleep and, and fun, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not big on entertaining myself. And I'm not big on, you know, a bunch of sleep. I'm not big on, you know, so for me, it's like, you got to commit the time, you know, to your business and to your goals. And so, you know, I knew that even before, you know, major successes from my, my prior life that I knew that, you know, you, you got to grind and you got to be in it doing it. Love it. Love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I would say John Wenzel. He, he's what I call my white dad. He was my, my first mentor in the mortgage industry who really brought me under his wing, knowing I was like rough off the edges, coming off the streets, not professionally groomed, but he really poured into me and taught me a lot about mortgages and financing and just business and business culture. And I think he had probably had the biggest effect on me and grooming me as a businessman. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Most people underestimate the amount of work and effort and intensity that it takes to become super successful. I think people just don't get what they're going to have to sacrifice, making really tough decisions, you know, vacations you can't make, family outings you can't make, time you can't spend, relationships you can't have, and just a level of an intensity that you got to bring to the table if you want to be that successful, and a level of knowledge base. A lot of us don't, don't prepare ourselves in regards to what we learn. Like I spent months not making any money, just learning, being an apprentice, and many of us won't make the investment into ourselves 
to be groomed, provide the arsenal and strategies that we need to be successful. Amazing. Amazing. Well, hopefully, BTM listeners, you've gained some insight into Jay's life and how he went from uh, up and coming real estate entrepreneur to this real estate mogul, how you went from the drug game to the real estate game. And Jay, I want to thank you again for sharing your before the million story and guiding us through your entrepreneurial journey and being an inspiration for others. Do you want to leave our audience with any parting words? Yeah. First and foremost, I want to offer all you guys opportunity to take a look at our educational platform, the Jay Morrison Academy. And you can go to jmorrisonacademy.com and we have a free real estate investors crash course. It's a 30 minute course you can take to really see what our style is like. We offer some really cool training. Our courses are very affordable. Even our one-on-one coaching beats anyone else in the market. And we just, we pour into people. And also we have seven or eight cities left on our 25 city tour. We'll be going to St. Louis, Charleston, Nashville, and a couple other areas ending in DC in October. And check us out in the corner classes, our credit to cash classes. But just as you guys are, you know, looking to achieve whatever it is you're looking to achieve, just you got to outwork the work. It's like there's no way to overemphasize how much work you got to put in. And, you know, that's just really what, what really and is the work and the resilience and the persistence. And it's like there's going to be hurdles. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be learning curves. It's just going to be all type of frustrations. Like don't don't expect the, the pretty picture. But you can cut your learning curve by getting training by getting coaches, by getting mentors, and you know, learning from others' experience. And that's what we hope to offer at the Jay Morrison Academy. And for those who want to look into investing together as partners, please check out our real estate crowdfund, the Tulsa Real Estate Fund. That's Tulsa, T-U-L-S-A, realestatefund.com. It's a way you can invest as little as $500, but be a part of major real estate developments and, and asset acquisition as a crowdfunding partner. So thank you guys. And thank you for having me. Amazing episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Truly, truly inspirational. And if you've gotten as much value as I think you've gotten from that show, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. How about that? How about that? Yeah. So I think that's all we have for this week's show. And we'll see you back here bright and early next Tuesday morning. Holla. Ya no puedo comer nada.